0: will turn your Bibles to John chapter 8. We'll be finishing up this great chapter this morning looking at verses 31 through 59 as Jesus finally has his last uh, interactions here with the Jewish leadership here at the Feast of Booths and uh, things get pretty heated. A very interesting. Very, uh, very good. Uh, close to this chapter. Before we go to God's word, let's go to Him in prayer and ask for His help. Lord, as we come together, as we open Your word, and as we seek it for guidance and wisdom and truth and salvation, pray that You would open our hearts and our minds to receive those things. Help us to overcome the sin that plagues us, that would cause us to not want to listen to your word. Help us to overcome those sins and those obstacles that we are really unaware of in our own lives, that we're blind to. Show us those things. Convict us of our sin, that we might follow you, that we might seek after you. Help us to learn from your word this morning as we come to it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as I uh, considered this passage this week, I really thought a lot about the concept of like father, like son. This is a colloquialism or an idiom that we've all used from time to time. This conversation between Jesus and the Jewish leadership really comes to a head here uh Jesus and his juxtaposition of himself and his people versus the children of the world is really deep here, and he essentially says that those who don 't believe are children of the devil, that the devil is their father, and this is a really strong claim. And again, I thought about my own children and my own father, and I thought how I 'm like him and and they're like me. And in a lot of good ways and in a lot of not good ways. And so it made me really think about that. And we we get the good and we give the good along with the bad because we're a mix of that in our own lives. We're a mix of the good and the bad, if you think about it. And of course, there was only one who was ever good that only ever modeled good traits. He's here in the midst of our story today debating the religious, the religious leadership, and his claim that their father is the devil, I think, really speaks to this deep sin issue that exists in all people outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think in particular in the people of Israel here, as over and over in the Old Testament what do we read as a consequence of the sin of idolatry that Israel practiced, and this spiritual harlotry, if you will, It's not only the death of the individual, but it's a generational curse. And so turn with me to Exodus chapter 20 real quick, and I want to read here, Exodus chapter 20. We're looking at verses 1 through 6. This is not our text this morning, but I think it really introduces our text, and it really helps to, to see where Jesus is coming from. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in the heaven above or that it is in the earth beneath or that it is in the water under the earth you shall not bow down to them or serve them for I am the Lord your God and I am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me and so again this sin pattern that Israel is in is ingrained in them And I would say it's because of the idolatry of their fathers before them. It stems from a belief that the God who delivered them from Egypt is no longer acceptable. They need another one. And for the Pharisees, that God became the fact that they were Jews, that they were the seed of Abraham, which we're going to see here in this passage. That they were following their own version of the law, one that they wrote that they could look better than everyone else. And I think that the sin patterns of folks like us today are very similar to that. Creating gods for ourselves, not following the one true God. So in today's passage, we're going to look at this concept of slavery to sin versus freedom from it. And we'll see what it means to be free in Jesus rather than be a slave to sin. Looking at two points, being a slave to sin, and second point, being set free in Jesus Christ. So with that, let's look at the text today. John chapter 8, verses 31 through 59. Let's please stand together in the honor of God's word. John chapter 8, verse 31. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and and you have not heard from my father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children... You would be doing the works that Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. And they said to him, We were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies." But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Jesus answered, or the Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. And have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, and Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Amen. This is God's word. You can be seated. So again, this is the end of this Feast of Booths that we've been in since chapter 7. And the tension has been building over the course of the ceremony. You know, over and over we've read how they were trying to arrest him. And over and over he kind of slipped through the cracks and wasn't arrested. And he kept teaching in the crowds. And he was seeing these different ceremonies. And then he would stand to speak about that ceremony because he was the fulfillment of all the ceremonies. And so here we finally kind of see the dam break. And the threats of arrest become threats of death instead of just simply arresting him. And so, a bit more concerning this idea of a a generational curse, you know, the curse of idolatry on these people. I think a lot of times the word generational curse is kind of used incorrectly in a lot of preaching. It's kind of this be set free and you see some crazy stuff about it. But it's a real thing in Scripture. I mean, there's much to be said about the sins of the people of Israel. But I believe the major... A major theme in the book of John is the idea of redemption. Taking a life of sin and death, a life that has been cursed for whatever reason because of Adam and Eve's sin ultimately, and changing it to a life that is lived abundantly, which Jesus came to give us. I mean, consider all the different people that we've looked at in the text so far. Nicodemus being delivered from his legalism. The woman at the well being delivered from her shame. The man healed by the pool being delivered from his life of disease. The woman caught in adultery, again, delivered from her shame, being set free to sin no more. All of these people had life-altering, curse-shattering experiences with Jesus Christ. The curse life that they had been living was turned on its head. Jesus kind of set them free to go this new trajectory in life. And we're going to see this in the next chapter, where we see a man who has been born, who was blind from birth, be, be healed of that. His life completely changed because of what Jesus did for him. So here, Jesus gets at the root, really, of the sin problem of the people. Not only Israel also the unbelieving world their father is the father of lies and that isn't to say that satan is the only reason that they sin we don't want to make satan the the sole reason for sin on earth because adam sinned tempted by satan but because adam sinned therefore all have sinned we sin in adam we have a sin nature but satan's influence on the world is certainly in opposition that of our father in heaven and opposition yes but not in the sense that god the father is somehow duking it out with the devil and that they're in this eternal conflict going back and forth the yin and the yang who's going to win What well, we need to help god do that there's nothing that couldn't be further than from the truth god is completely aware of the actions of satan and his brood and he isn't surprised at all by anything that he does and for whatever reason for whatever reason the actions of satan even are a part of the grand scheme of god's purposes on earth the devil is really just upon in the masterwork of god's tapestry and he's on a short leash and one day he's going to find his demise along with the rest of evil and he knows it so his main act then is to convince people of their enslavement to sin. And he does so largely by convincing them that they're good enough on their own, which is where we see the Pharisees and where we see much of the world today. So that brings us to our first point, being a slave to sin. Remember, verse 30, Jesus got there speaking, and he was saying these things, and many believed in him. So Jesus turns to those who believed in him and he says these things If you abide in my word you're truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free Now apparently some of them took offense at this the truth will set you free why did they take offense to this what's so offensive about being set free and abiding in God's word well we are offspring of Abraham and we have never been enslaved to anyone how is it that you say we will become free? It's a fascinating statement from these Jewish people, have, considering their history, considering that there was probably a Roman centurion within a stone's throw, the person that was saying this, considering that before the Romans it was the Greeks, and then it was the Medes, and then it was the Assyrians. I mean, the Jews have been in slavery their entire existence, practically. They were in Egypt, right? They've never been enslaved to anyone? What kind of statement is this? But apparently, we're offspring of Abraham. We've never been enslaved to anyone. Fascinating statement. What does this mean? That being a slave, being enslaved to sin. Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. What do I mean by that? Practices, lives a life without change. This pattern of sin. A person who sins as a way of life without repentance is not abiding. In the word of God, and therefore is not a disciple of Christ, is not free from sin. Truly, truly, I say to you, for everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. Not just one sin. Sure, all of us commit sins. But being a slave to sin is an habitual pattern in one's life. We see this interaction in Romans chapter 6 and 7. I'll read from that a little bit later where Paul talks about this battle within the believer. The sin nature and the new nature in Christ babbling it out. For the unbeliever, there is no battle. They are a slave to sin, rather than having any hope of freedom outside of Jesus Christ. And so what Jesus is saying, when Jesus sets you free from sin, you are really free from sin. Not only free from the life of sin, but free from having to earn your place because of sin. And that's the great thing. We're not just set free to now be better people, be better at doing the good works. We're set free in that we are really, indeed, free. Jesus' death not only paid the price of our sin, but he gives us his righteousness in full. So we are really free. Your bad things are gone, one. And two, you don't have to do good things in order to earn your salvation. That's great. But now that said, a believer, what is Jesus saying here? A believer will do good things because they are no longer a slave to sin. They are free to act as those who are redeemed, free to walk in the good works which he has prepared for us to walk in. A believer will abide in the word of God, just like Jesus says. And it's really this, I think, that these folks have a problem with here. Because they don't want to rest in Jesus. Who do they want to rest in? Their father Abraham. So Jesus is about to pick that apart. Look at verses 38 and 39. It says, I speak what I have seen from with my father, and you do not have... or and, you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works that Abraham did. Jesus compares his father, the Father in heaven, to their father, which he'll name quick, or he'll name in just a few verses, the devil. And their their quick retort is, Well, Abraham is our father. And if, you, if so, you'd be doing the works that Abraham did. What were the works that Abraham did? Well, granted, Abraham wasn't perfect, and we know that. But at the end of his life, what do we see Abraham doing? We see a pattern of faith. We see a pattern of good works. We see a man that trusted in God. We see a man that ultimately, what does Jesus say of him, looked forward to the promises of God being fulfilled. You are doing the works that your father did, the devil. Not the works that Abraham did, and then they 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 come back. Well, we were not born of sexual immorality. Probably a stab at Jesus here, because Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. Again, lots of rumors floating around the small town about Jesus's parentage. Mary was pregnant before she got married to Joseph, and so they probably this is probably a personal stab at Jesus. Well, they're you know essentially saying, well at least. We're good and pure, the best kind of Jew. We weren't born of any kind of sin. And Jesus takes it right to him here. What does he say? You are of your father, the devil. And then he goes on to describe the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning. It's an interesting description of the devil. What happened in Genesis? What did did God say to Adam and Eve? Either the fruit, you will surely die. The devil tempted them, and they took it in, and they did die. He's a murderer from the beginning, and has nothing to do with the truth, because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar, the father of lies. So Jesus gives us some of the character of the devil. Completely the opposite of Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. This man is a liar, or this, this being is a liar, and he is the father of lies. You are not of your God because you do not hear my voice. Or you are not of God because you do not hear my voice. Again, this constant refrain in John. Those whom the Father has not drawn to himself cannot hear the word of God. And they continue to be dead in their sins. And I love their, again, they have some crazy... Questions for Jesus. Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? This is like uh, loaded questions 101 here. Uh, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and you have a demon? And Jesus' response says, Is this? I do not have a demon, but I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. And then he goes on, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never. Taste death, or he will never see death. And again, this bothered them. Because Abraham died. Abraham did taste death. It's recorded in their law. Again, what's the problem here? They have no idea of the kind of death that Jesus is talking about. Because they are stuck in the here and now. They're unable to discern that Jesus is talking about a death that never ends. Spiritual death and eternity in hell. And so they respond, Well, Abraham died, so did the prophets. Are you greater than they are? I love his response If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom I say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I did not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. One of my favorite verses in the New Testament. Why? Because this shows such a connection between what the Old Testament saints believed and the New Testament promises that we see fulfilled in Jesus Christ. How did Abraham understand the promises of God? He understood that they were yea and amen in Jesus Christ. Every blessing that has ever been bestowed upon him and his seed was ultimately to come through to fruition through the person and the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. Abraham believed that to be true. and The Bible says that it was counted to him as righteousness. Turn to Genesis 15 with me, and I want to read from that passage where we read that, because I want you to see this. We did our study in covenant theology earlier, and again, such an important paradigm for understanding Scripture. Understanding the idea of the covenants helps you to understand the significance of what Jesus is saying here. Look at Genesis 15. Let's read the first six verses here. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. Remember, God promised Abram a child and that he would be the father of many nations. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, The man shall not be your heir, for your very son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said to him, Look toward the heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord. And he counted it to him as righteousness. It was that moment when the Lord said, step outside and look at the stars. Look, that's as many as your children will be. It's that moment that Abraham all of of a sudden thought, wow, these promises are going to come true. Did Abraham see him in his lifetime? No. Did his son see him in his lifetime? No. Many generations would come until we would finally see the fruition of that promise come, Jesus Christ. But Abraham saw that he saw the day of Jesus Christ, and he was glad. The prophets, what did they see? They also saw the day of Jesus Christ, and they were glad. They preach about it all through the prophets' literature. Read the book of Isaiah. It talks all about Jesus. Read Jeremiah. It talks about Jesus. Ezekiel, it talks about Jesus. All of them talk about Jesus. Turn to Hebrews with me, chapter 11. And I think this sums it up really well for us. Hebrews chapter 11. In this chapter, you know you have this, this rundown of some of the great men of the faith. But this chapter is not to uh, glorify those men to glorify our Lord. Chap- Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13. I love this verse too, because it really sums it up, what Jesus Jesus just said. Talking about all these men, Abram and all the ones that came before. These all died in faith, not having received the things promise, promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. Abram knew that one day God was going to keep his promises. He knew that one day he was going to send a Redeemer. He knew that his place was in heaven beside his Lord. And he knew that his promises would be fulfilled. And Jesus says, Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it. And was glad. And how do the people respond? Well, you're not even 50 years old. What do you mean you've seen Abraham? Abram's lived several thousand years ago, which is kind of interesting. But, again, Jesus gets right to the heart. But they speak to the one who spoke all things into existence, who is the beginning and the end, the one who spoke to Abram, And initially said to Abram, go to the place where I will show you and I will make you a great nation. Who also spoke to Abram said, go outside and look at the stars. That will be your family. They speak to Abraham's father. Yet they think they're speaking to a common blasphemer. And so what Jesus says. Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. A sentence that reads very strangely in the English. Abraham was I am but they knew exactly what he was saying because what did they do as soon as he said it they picked up stones to kill him because they knew that he was attributing to himself deity they knew that he was calling himself God and again by nature the unbeliever is slave to sin they are completely unable to grasp the things of God they need God himself to open their hearts and minds so that they can hear and see the Lord The great I am himself is standing right there before those people and they have no idea who they're looking at. Because they're cursed. Like their fathers before them who killed the prophets. Like their fathers before them who worshipped the Baals and prostituted themselves to all the gods of their captors. Hoping that their captors would be nice to them. They are without excuse before a holy God, and they stand condemned to eternal death. And in some ways, they don't know any better because their eyes aren't open. They don't see it. And so the question for us as believers is why do we sometimes act that way also? That brings us to the next point, being set free in Christ. Because I think sometimes the way... Sometimes we act that way because, just like we mentioned, we have this war within us. We struggle against this new nature that we have been given in Christ. Paul talks about this in the book of Romans. Turn with me to Romans 7 real quick. We're going to stay, we're going to hang out here a little bit. Romans 7 verses 21 through 24. Hear the struggle in Paul's words. This idea of being a slave to sin versus being set free in Christ. And and this, this struggle for the believer. The unbeliever doesn't have this struggle again. But listen to Paul as he struggles. Romans 7 verse 21. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being but i see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members wretched man that i am who will deliver me from this body of death do you ever do you ever agree with those words absolutely you can hear the struggle In Paul, as he's writing these words, and if Paul, the great apostle, struggled, who are we to think that we won't or that we wouldn't struggle? We will, and we do. That doesn't make it right, but it is part of who we are as believers on this side of heaven. And it's that which Jesus came to deliver us from. So let's continue reading there in Romans. Look at verse 25. And I'll read through part of chapter 8. Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but my flesh I serve the law of sin. And So he recognizes this to be just a a thing that he's going to have to deal with on this earth. But then read read verse 8. Or chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Amen. Paul answered this question. Jesus sets us free. That's what Jesus just said, right? We are set free. We're going to have this battle, but we are free. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples. You will know the truth, and it will set you free. What is the truth? The truth is that we we are sinners, and that we need a Savior. And Jesus Christ is that Savior. The truth is the gospel. And it's the gospel that we need above any other truth. It's the gospel that takes this brokenness, this inner struggle that we have, And even this generational brokenness that we all have in Adam, ultimately, and it redeems it. It turns it on its head. As far as the curse is found, he redeems. When Jesus came to set his people free, remember that the people of God were sinners first in Adam again, the first man. They weren't born innocent at all. None of us were born innocent. Their sin stretched back from generations and generations and generations. And that sin removed us from fellowship with God. But in Jesus, that fellowship is renewed. We can go to God our Father and pray to Him now because of what Jesus did. The Spirit working in our lives continues more and more to help us believe this truth. That's what, Rome, that's what the rest of Romans 8 is about that the Spirit is working in us so that we might believe more and more what the gospel is and what it means to us more and more, that we might abide in Christ more and more as believers. So in conclusion, in Christ, we are no longer slaves to sin, brothers and sisters. We are set free from sin, free from our need to earn our place before a holy God because Jesus Christ did that for us. We had no hope of earning anything. A point that Jesus proved to the people here in John chapter 8. No hope of earning anything. Our father, the devil, saw to that. We needed his redemptive act in our lives to give us hope, to give us redemption for the sins of our past, the sins that we're born with. So Christians, now that we are set free from sin, now that we are set free from death, let us go and abide in Christ. Let us study his word so that we'll know what to do. So that we'll know what it means to abide in him. Study his word so he know so that you'll know what he requires of you. We don't do that so that we ha- so that we can be better people. We do that to serve our Lord who has made us free, who has made us righteous. We're not earning our place any more than our children have to earn their keep around our house. They don't, my child doesn't have to earn their bed in my house. They get to stay there free because they're mine. We are, child, we are children of the God of the universe. We are his. He bought us with a price. I want to serve him now. I want to abide in his word. I want to study his law. I want to do what he says. We have a place in the kingdom because of Jesus. Not because of us. So go now. Do good because of the good that he did for you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, help us to do that. First of all, help us to be convinced that we don't have to earn our favor before you. You bought it for us. So help us to not attempt to earn our way to God because we can't do it. Even this side of salvation, we can't do it because we struggle. We have this war within us. And so help us to do good because we want to serve our Father in heaven. Help us to abide in your word that we might know more and more that we are set free. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.